Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's a Monday edition, and that means I'm joined by, well, at least one of our holy priests, <laughs> Father Lewis. Father Jeff Lewis is here from St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. Hey, Father Lewis. Good morning, Tom. Are you feeling the pressure, Father? Father Nagel abandoned us. Uh, Actually, he didn't. Technology betrayed us. That's right. That's Once better. Again. Instead of abandoned, technology betrayed us today. Unfortunately, we're not able to connect with the main studio of Sacred Heart Radio. So Father Lewis and I are recording this program to be a blessing to you all. And Father Lewis knows exactly what we're not talking about. So we'll tell him in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer. And just an explanation first, Father, before we even do that. When I said you have no idea what we're talking about, I we kind of joke like that before uh, the program starts, because the idea is that we want you, dear listeners, to experience the idea, the reality of a living conversation that is based on the actual lived experience of our lives. And so there's something very powerful and fresh about that. And so that's what we strive for. It's not that we're lazy or we are unprepared, but rather we're calling upon the gift of the Holy Spirit and the preparation of the lived lives that we have to bring that to bear for you. So that's what we're doing. And so uh, I can't wait to know what's the scripture that Father Lewis has chosen for the program. We'll take a selection from St. Paul's letter to the Romans on occasion of our recording today, which is on Thursday, November 2nd, All Souls Day. Brothers and sisters, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For Christ, while we were still helpless, died at the appointed time for the ungodly. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person, though perhaps for a good person one might even find courage to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who came to die for us, and came and rose again for us, for the salvation of our souls, and for your greater glory. We ask your blessings upon us this uh, this day, for our recording, for our broadcast, and especially for our listeners at home. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Father Lewis. So, Father, it's uh, lots happened. Like uh, we we we've seen each other now not only at St. Mary's but we were together what was it a week ago yeah at the men's retreat yeah uh, with Dale Alquist mm-hmm. so I I was kind of a bookend so <laughs> I was there on Friday night and then back on Sunday morning you were there the whole time I was yeah what was it like it was good yeah I was a uh, invited to be uh, to serve as chaplain you know for the men there at our Northwest Men's Fall Retreat. <clears throat> and uh, so the Mass each day, Friday evening, Saturday morning, and then Sunday morning, available for confessions, 
um, Eucharistic adoration and just in general, whenever any of the guys maybe wanted to uh, talk about things or, or what have you. So I served in the capacity of chaplain and then, you know, a couple opportunities for some Q&A on the um, kind of a panel discussion format we did on the last day. So I was uh, part of that too. Yeah. Nice. It was, it was, it was nice for me. It was uh, good to just, uh, just kind of a little mini retreat for myself. And I've never been at this location before for longer than a couple hours, which is called Camp Luther Haven on Lake Coeur d'Alene in North Idaho. A beautiful setting and the rooms, the buildings that we had were pretty conducive for our purposes. So it's just an all-around a good setting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I very much enjoyed being there. It is, uh, uh, when I think about the idea of being able to get away for a weekend, I would love it to have more young guys. Yeah. Right? These guys were as old as I was. Yeah. Right? And even older, <laughs> right? Even older. And and that's not a bad thing, right? But it's uh, it, you can see how challenging it is for guys who are in the midst of raising kiddos to be able to get away for a whole weekend. Yeah. That's a challenge. Yeah. And so I, I, that's one of the things I came away pondering. Yeah. So uh, this actually leads me right into the, uh, the, the first question I have, the first theme I want to discuss with you. So one of the ways that I pray, when I pray with people and for people, is I'll pray that the Lord would give them gifts unexpected, blessings unimagined, and mercy undeserved. Okay, so mercy is undeserved, so I guess that's kind of a little repetition there. But (laughs) let's start with the idea of gifts unexpected. Gifts unexpected. Uh, And I'm going to put it to you this way. God the Father comes to you and says, all right, Father Jeff, I and my fatherly treasure trove of blessings, I have so many gifts to give, uh, men today, if you could give a gift to Catholic men today, and and we could say three gifts if you want, mm-hmm. right? And you can't just say faith, hope, and love, right? Uh, okay. You, you got to up <laughs> your game a bit here. I'm gonna. If you could give a gift to guys today that you think that, in general, would help elevate the way that Catholic men are living, discovering, and living their identity and their God-given mission. What would be that gift or gifts that you would be able to just lavish generously upon Catholic men? Um, I think a fortitude is an important gift. Um, fortitude, not just in the sense of courage when we're afraid, but to rise above our weaker self and um, base ourselves to, to just do what needs doing. And an aspect of that is... You know, maybe a lot of a lot of uh, folks, not just men, but a lot of folks, we need to take a look at the priorities we place on our lives and what takes highest priority, and with fortitude rearrange our priorities so that faith and family come first. Um, I think that a lot of people like that idea, but then when you actually take a look at maybe their calendars or what they're actually spending their lives doing. It, it, it doesn't actually look like that. So a reprioritization of life, which is achieved um, uh, through fortitude to rise above our baser self. All right, let's dig into that some more. Yeah. So courage or fortitude, right? One of these cardinal virtues, these hinge virtues, other mm-hmm. virtues are going to hang off it, connect to it. Uh, you're saying that men will, uh, through courage, be able to prioritize more fully the, what, what they ought to, faith and family. Yeah. Um, what do you see men giving themselves over to? What are they prioritizing right now that they would have to let go of? 
Um, a lot of men, um, well, I think they think they're prioritizing, for example, their, their kids' lives, but not in a, in a way that fathers ought to really guide their children. What I mean by this is um, we used to talk about helicopter parents that would hover over their kids. Now I think it's become more like lawnmower parents. You know, the parents are always following their kids as the lawnmower does its thing across the path. And it's, you're not <laughs> I've guiding. I've never heard them. that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, some of us talk about that uh, every now and again when we, when we talk discipleship and evangelization at the parish. Like, how are we going to help guys to, to you know, to, re- to reprioritize their lives? And so you're always following the kids. So the child wants to play uh, football. Okay, we'll sign up for football. And the kid wants to play soccer, all these leagues. Okay, we'll do that. And then okay, we got to go to this place for this tournament and this place for this tournament. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And the, and the child is, is dictating what, is, what the family's schedule is rather than the father saying, okay, football is fine, but not at the cost of family time together. These other things are important in life. And above all, we're going to go to Sunday Mass and we're going to pray as a family. But if we're too busy because we're following the child at every football or baseball or soccer game, um, that's an that's an uh, aberration of tr- of a uh, true priority. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. So then, it, well, looking at we're just using one example, sports. Yeah. And, and that's a really interesting one because I'd say that fathers are thinking, well, I'm being a good father to my kids. I'm being a father. I'm so I'm putting my family first by investing time and money and energy and focus and attention on their involvement in a sport. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of what ends up happening are parents are on the sidelines. Yeah. Literally. Literally on the sidelines and maybe for a whole day or a whole weekend, right? Mm-hmm. They, it's, I, can't give t- I can't give a weekend for a men's retreat, but I'm regularly giving a weekend for a soccer tournament right. or a volleyball tournament or now a basketball tournament or pick the tournament. Pick right? the pick, season. Pick right? the season, pick the sport. Yeah. And on the one hand, there's kind of a no-brainer, well, that's just what's required, when it comes to the sport, but when it comes to the faith, all of a sudden there isn't that same feeling of requirement. Yeah. So I, I know that from the inside, Carrie and I, uh, you might have heard us say, like, we've had our kids on over 100 teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we got a lot of kids, right? Nine kiddos. But I remember that we hit a breaking point. It was in 2016. I think it was 2016. Maybe it was 2018. It was 2018, and Kerry was adding up all of the practices we had, because at that point we had nine kids in sports, um, still at home. So it was some t- somewhere in that in that time window. In one week, 36 practices, yeah, or games, yeah, 36, and you know that that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot, and and there was sort of a what are we doing? And and it was that chase after, well, we want our kid to succeed. We want our kid to shine. We want our kid who's gifted. Mm-hmm. You know our kids are gifted, yeah. right? Oh, well, yeah. They're, hey, all, they're all the next Peyton Manning, aren't oh, they? Oh, <laughs> they're all going pro. Yeah, that's right. right. They're all going pro. And, and the idea is that somehow we have to chase after what is designed to rob us of focus, right? Yeah. So it, it was very dispersing, like this dispersion. It was very distracting, and it would divert us. So those three enemies of growing in the spiritual life, diversion, distraction, dispersion, high-level sports commitments when you have multiple kids is a great 
let's call it enemy, or at least at a minimum, a great temptation to keep us away from a balanced life or a life that says a life in balance must have God first and time with family, you know, being a father and a mother second. Yeah. Well, in addition to those three, you know, enemies or temptations, another D word is draining because all your time energy is spent on on those 36 practices and games each week. Then you get home and like, okay, what are we going to do as a family? Ah, I'm so tired. And you end up doing nothing. So it drains you for what other things you could be doing before or after because the whole focus is on that. Well, and there is no before and after because someone's practices at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, they're getting home at nine. So there's no family time. There's no family dinner. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of family prayer, it's either happening at 930 at night, but then the kids that were away because of their games or practices are like, I've got homework to do. And now Mm -hmm. what do I do? And now I'm really tired. And and Carrie's exhausted, and I'm exhausted because I'm working too. And mm-hmm. uh, uh-huh. right? now, frankly, not everybody has that kind of challenge, right? Yeah. It's not that much. But as soon as you have a couple of kids playing high-level sports, it is very distracting, diverting, and dispersing. Yeah. So okay, so it takes courage to break that pattern. Yeah. To say, wait a minute, I value something else, and what what is that something else? Okay, so Father, it's like. It's not just saying I've committed some money and time so that you get this opportunity to grow in this capacity as, a, as playing this sport. Isn't it also about the richness of the time you have together? Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think a lot of fathers can struggle with that, maybe because of how they were brought up. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of dads in the generation before us were just very busy doing work and... Maybe in neighborhoods that were more friendly with more kids, there wasn't as much of a need to be so intentional to say, I'm going to be a father to my kids in very direct, engaged ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's too strong, but... Uh, maybe, though, and you know, um, uh, maybe it's not too strong because, as you say, you know, our, our generation's you know, fathers were working hard and so on. And, and my grandparents, you know, generation, well, that's the greatest generation. And so you, you worked hard all the time because by golly, we're not going to suffer the effects of a great depression again, kind of a thing. Right. Um, but in addition to not making the time to be fathers for the kids, when fathers do, I don't know if, I don't know how many of them know how to do it. They know how to be friends with their kids. And that's not the same thing. In fact, that's that's boiling the child and sparing the rod kind of a thing because you're making it more important to be an equal with your child so that they like you all the time rather than being a parent for the child so that you can give them what they need, not what they want, because they're not always the same thing. And so how to be a father and to just avoid the trap of, of going out of your way to be a friend. And maybe that's why some so many parents seem to be these lawnmower parents because, well... If I don't do this, I'm the mean parent. If I don't give my kid the cell phone, he's the only one without a cell phone in this friend group, I'm the mean parent. I don't want that. I want, to, I want my kid to like me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, and I, it's, a, that's a, it's a great question because what, when is a father being a father, right? So I love playing games with my kids. But when I play games with my kids, I'm not just only one player among the other players. I'm still always their father. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's the fun, there's the laughter, there's the enjoying each other, there's the attempt to cheat and not get caught, 
right? A pure current thing to do. Um, <laughs> But there's also the sense of, well, we're always going to respect dad and how we treat him or talk to him or relate to him. And if, uh, and, and honestly, I think that one of the biggest things is, is that dads will do things to diminish the respect that is owed to them by being goofy or silly. In way, and it's not just you always have to be serious and stern, but. I think that we do things that will diminish the respect that is due to us, maybe again, out of a lack of knowing how to retain a sense of fatherliness in the midst of doing things with our kids. All right, we're up against a break, Father. Back in a minute with more Sun Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis and talking about being a father. And you want to give fathers courage, courage to be able to step into the role of being a godly father in faith and family. So we talked a bit about the way that that will show up in family life, right? Not just succumbing to what the world tells us a good father does, but you also mentioned leading in prayer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that up as a second gift. Yeah, I so, was thinking that too. I, you know, the first one, fortitude, not only one of the hinge virtues, but also a gift of the Holy Spirit. Another gift of the Holy Spirit is piety. If uh, fathers are convinced that prayer is the best use of their time, they will never have time for prayer. This is a lesson we learned in our a priest retreat that I was on um, a couple years ago for our diocese. But until we are convinced that prayer is the best use of our time, we will never have time for prayer. But when we are attracted, we are drawn to, we have a desire for prayer, we will easily make time for it because we make time for other things that we enjoy doing. And, you know, the child is is not dumb. The child is very observant. The child will see father takes you know dad not father (laughs) dad takes prayer seriously and there's something to it and so you know it'll inspire them to want to do it you talked in a previous program about the witness of your father um praying that was inspiring to you and a, a lot of a lot of men will say that i've seen my dad on his knees praying and that was inspiring to me and so you're instilling that sense of piety and so piety is a desire for growing in faith and a desire for um, you know, religious devotion, um, a desire to be a, a beloved child of God. I mean, piety comes from the, the Latin word for child, right? For, for son, I think. And, um, and so when fathers instill that, when fathers show they have, a, they have a desire to go to Mass, they have a desire for personal prayer, they have a desire for these things, and they want their children to come along, that's like an invitation to child. Oh, I get to be in Dad's like inner sanctum. He's going to the church, and this is a very solemn moment, and I get to go with him. I've observed this in young fathers. When they do this, the kids respond very positively and, and with, um, with a, a nice childlike kind of zeal about them. Yeah, there's this study from Germany that talked about the way in which kids religious practice when they get older. I think it's from uh, Norway. Is it Norway? I think it was Norway. Yeah, yeah. some northern European country, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was basically a high percentage yeah. A higher percentage of kids will practice their faith as adults if their dad yeah. is a spiritual leader in the home. Significantly higher. It was it's a surprising study. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to see that kind of, uh, you know, kind of explored more fully today. And there are probably ways to do that. But I think, again, it's one of those things where marriage prep classes, no one's talking about how do you lead your family in prayer because, right. you know, more than nine out of 10 of these couples getting married don't have kids and don't have kids that are going to be led in prayer when they get married. Mm -hmm. So even the idea of how do we pray as a couple and then how do we pray as our kids are younger and then kids get older, that is a 
desperately needed area mm-hmm. for dads to step into. Because I think a lot of dads will, uh, number one, defer to their wives because their wives are, uh, are, are maybe m- more... Uh, uh, engaged in their own practice of faith. Second is, there's something very intimate, something very, there's, there's a, a degree of vulnerability when we speak out loud a prayer to God. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a bit exposing, it's a bit revealing um, that, uh, you know, where our own hearts are, if we're going to lead our family in prayer, if it's beyond a simple devotion, Right, kids, get over here. Time to pray our family rosary. Right. I'm not putting that down. That's been part of my life for 23 years, mm-hmm. 24 years with uh, Mary Grace, our oldest. Um, so, the idea of a devotion is critically important, like the rosary. But it also has. To, it also ought to. I don't want to say it has to. It ought to also involve a bit more um, self-disclosure. Yeah. Of the the father, a dad's heart for God, in the actual prayer itself. Yeah, yeah. One thing you you mentioned is lacking in in marriage preparation. I'm trying to re- reverse that as best I can. So conversations I have with my couples are, are you praying not just for each other but with each other, because that is a bridge too far for a lot of people. A lot of couples, not just the men, but a lot of couples. Like, whoa, that's a inviting a level of intimacy and vulnerability that that we were not expecting. I'm like, you're going to make babies together. You ought to be able to pray together. What do you want? And, um, and the, you know, they respond, you know, I think um, it, it's something new to them, but they, they don't shut it down. You mm-hmm. know, they think it's an in- invitation. And if they can grow in that, even now as engaged couples, then it becomes hopefully a good habit. They're praying with each other. And then just by extension, hopefully we can keep coaching them how to pray with their child. So fathers can do this when invariably a child will talk to you about something that's going on at school or friends or whatever, and, you know, just listen and then, and invite, you know, would you like to pray together about this? And just in the moment, you know, fathers can say a prayer and invite the child to pray. Now that sounds easier said than done. That's on top of my mind right now because I just had an occasion for that earlier today with a person who came by with some uh, significant distress in the family and listened for a bit and then invited to pray with this parishioner in the moment. And so we did. And it does feel awkward at first when you're not used to it. I'm saying that as a priest who should be doing this all the time. So I know it's not, it's not easy. It's not, it's not, it doesn't feel natural, but it ought to be. If we're men of faith, it ought, that ought to be a natural extension of what's already in our hearts. Yeah. I, when I teach couples how to pray or teach people how to pray with that expectant faith that you just said, I said, here are the stages that you should expect. And you said the first one, you should expect, no, the, the first one is you, you should expect that it's foreign because yeah. it's not something you've done before. So it's not natural. You're not inclined to it. it, it it's going to feel foreign. Expect that, but don't let that stop you. Yeah. And then the second one was it's awkward. Mm-hmm. When you actually try to do it, it's, it's not going to like just flow. It's going to be clunky. And so that leads to the third one. You should expect to fail. You should expect this is done badly. That didn't work. And then the fourth one is you should expect a spiritual attack because the devil's going to hate the idea that you're going to grow and mature as a person of prayer who is going to integrate prayer into these encounters that you have with your family or in the world. Mm -hmm. And then you should also expect that it's going to bear fruit and you'll see God's glory to be at work. And what happens? All those hurdles that stand between the foreign 
weird feeling and the fruitful experience are just too great. And yeah. so people never never break through. Yeah. That's a that's a real sadness. But I, I think it helps to put it out there. You should expect this, yeah. right? It's foreign. It's awkward. You will fail. You'll come under attack, but then you'll see God's glory. Yeah. And so keep pressing forward. And yeah, so that's that's my little take there. So I would say that you can you can extend that to even types of prayer, right? Like I don't get anything out of the rosary. Mm-hmm. Well, pray the rosary. It's foreign, awkward. You fail. Spiritual attack. Fruitfulness. Yeah. Um, I, I'd add one more. How about within prayer, giving uh, men and women, but men, silence? Yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about contemplative prayer last, uh, what was it last week? It was at the men's retreat yeah. in the mm-hmm. Q&A. Um, that silence, well, what's silence? It's not natural. Right. Right? It's foreign. And less and less natural in our increasingly noisy world. Yes. So here, I'll give you an experience of that this morning uh, in my prayer time. And um, and then uh, I want you to reflect on this because the the power and importance of of silence in prayer, men. So I, um, I I did the office of readings right the way I normally do, and then I had some time for silence, and it was so noisy, it was so noisy inside of me. All, my mind just started spinning off into stuff I needed to do, and I'm like, Lord, this is my quiet time. This is my quiet time, and then Carrie came out. And ruined my quiet time because Carrie is there now to, she takes her prayer time with me in the same room, but is often an easy distraction to start talking about stuff, mm-hmm. right? So I, I, I just stopped and I just said, wow, I'm like, okay, I think I have to remember and guys have to know in this instance that it takes several weeks of noisy silence before silent silence emerges, yeah. right? They talk about, what, six weeks, three to break a habit, three to establish a habit. And it might not be exactly like that in terms of silence, but it takes several weeks of just living with noisy silence to have the interior noise quiet itself. And then it takes several weeks of increasing silence that you can increase the extent of the time you are in quiet prayer and then you'll begin to experience the real fruits that come from quiet prayer. So I, I throw that out. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, that brings to mind uh, another gift that I would uh, ask for, for men everywhere, and that is the gift of perseverance. Um, because things, it's, things are going to get tougher before they get better. That's just the way of it. Habit formation other things besides, and that's what you're talking about is habit formation. If I'm like, well, it got too hard, you know, you're on day day 20 of the 21 day, you know, break a bad habit and then build a good habit. Now, well, I'm just going to give up and, you know, perseverance, you know, would have helped you to just push through and, and trust. And another thing is the trust, the trust in the province of God. That's another thing I would add to the you know, the um, foreignness, the awkwardness, and so on, the spiritual attacks, but then the fruitfulness of your prayer, but also trust that God will provide the grace to persevere, and we can exercise that grace, but that this is actually meaningful, this is actually doing something. I said in our retreat at the men's retreat that, I don't think you were there, it was my homily on Saturday morning, but maybe the greatest fear that men face is the fear of of feeling helpless. When we're met with, (coughs) excuse me, 
when we're met with challenges and difficulties and we want to do something, we want to charge in and, and fix it, but we're, we're feeling helpless. There's nothing I can do. That's such a frustration for men. And so we feel that way when we're trying to build a good habit of prayer and comfortableness with silence. But perseverance helps us to overcome helplessness, I think, and then we can start to see the light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, I that brings me around to something that I'm regularly talking about with parents about raising, turning boys into men, right? It's the difficult good, yeah, right? And then to make a more kind of a common phrase, it's the hard easy, yeah, right? So you got two choices in life. You can do the hard easy or you can do the easy hard, mm-hmm. right? You keep choosing an easy path, life gets harder. Yep. If you're willing to persevere with courage, press through the difficult and pursue a difficult good, right? It's not going to be easily attained or realized. It's going to require sacrifice and attention and patience and all that. Um, it'll get easier, mm-hmm. right? Because virtue, this is the crazy thing. Virtue is easy, right? When, once we get there. <laughs> once we get there. And, and when we're doing a virtuous act, if it's not easy, what does it mean? The virtue is not fully formed in us yet. Because virtue is easy, prompt, and joyful, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's Aquinas. That's not me. <laughs> I, I didn't make that up. But And so when we are doing a good thing or a virtuous thing with difficulty, with resistance and reluctance, and, um, uh, and without any joy, well, then what does that mean? It means that we're still laboring to overcome the vice mm-hmm. that is the opposite of the virtue we're pursuing. Yeah. So... Yeah. All right. So, Father, um, any other gifts? Because I've this is this is still question one. So, <laughs> and that was you were with the men, and and you can expand it now to you know others as well. But um, if there's a gift to give to to men today, men today to help them to fulfill their mission, courage was one, perseverance, or prayer was the second, perseverance was the third. Um, what about I, I said then graces unimagined? Yeah. Right, so I'm going to shift it, and I'm going to say, if you could give a grace, if you could say, Lord, pour out these graces, these blessings. Um, so maybe not a specific gift, but blessings on priests hmm. today. What would be some blessings? And if if there were gifts, it's fine. But if there are graces that you could have be poured out upon priests today, what what would what would be the what would be on that list? Um, for priests, maybe the blessing of, of um, a sense of freedom. That's the best way I can think to, as I'm thinking through this. And what I mean by that is if I would avail myself to, to with fortitude, uh, do what I need to do, with piety, realize that prayer is the best, time of my, best use of my time, and then perseverance, perse- persevere and stick with it, the temptation might be I'm, I'm, I better just slip back into administrative mode. And, you know, just let's just have all these meetings and everything else, and I better just oversee what the staff is doing and taking time that I should be offering to the Lord in my own personal prayer. And so if I persevere through that temptation and stick with my prayer regimen that I know I need to do, then it's like the administration becomes easier because I'm, I'm, I'm just shrugging it off my shoulders saying, Lord, it's your church, you fix it. You know, I'm going to bed. St. John the 23rd, I think, famously said that. Um... And so, um, and then there's a freedom. Like I don't have to micromanage. I don't. I know I'm the, the boss. I'm the pastor, but I don't have to micromanage. I'm freed from that, and trusting that to the people who are more capable than I and have a maybe a passion for this, that, or the other, and I can go do what I need to do. And then the whole 
the whole organism, as it were, the divine spiritual organism of the, the parish church is just flourishing with greater ease be, because I'm not getting in the way. There's a freedom in that. Mm-hmm. That'd be a nice blessing for a lot of us priests to experience. That's cool. Uh, it's also surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> no, sincerely. Yeah. Because uh, freedom, uh, you're talking about freedom, I think, at the level of having space, mm-hmm. having a sense of, okay, I've got some space now so I can make a choice, yeah. right? And I can live out my commitment. Those are the three levels of freedom. Uh, to, to pray the way I feel called to pray, but I feel constrained or stuck or trapped right. or in bondage to the demands that are placed upon me. Right. So, or more accurately, the demands that I perceive are placed. There upon you go. That's I, right. I'm making you're it not up, a victim. Maybe. Right. That's right. Yeah. No one is forcing you to do these things. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I, I always love to say when people say, "How uh, how are you doing?" Oh, I'm busy. And I say, "Well, it just means you're not living intentionally." <laughs> I've learned to rephrase my life. Say, "Well, my day has been full, full, which is more joyful, and it's still accurate, but." I'm deliberately choosing these things, and they are life-giving. It's a fullness of life. Nice. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about a full life, full to overflowing. Father, yeah. Father's not busy. He's <laughs> living a life filled I'm to full. overflowing. That's it. That is good. Yes. So, um, okay, so graces given to priests. One is the freedom to be able to live intentionally yeah. and uh, be able to withstand the temptation to say, I'm a bit powerless in front of the demands that are placed upon me. Yeah. Yeah. That that would be a wonderful grace yeah. to give to priests. And that gift of freedom is two, is a two-sided coin, freedom from these demands or these perceived demands so that I'm freed up for ministry. I think this was a lesson I learned from that book we did a couple years ago, The a Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, mm-hmm. where in the introduction to that, the author was talking about how I realize all these things I'm doing, really anyone else could do. But it's taking me away from those things which only I can do. Yeah. And as pastor, what are the things that only I can do? I need to be freed up for the sacraments. I need to be praying for my flock. I need to be, you know, these are the things that are proper to to me as the priest, not the administration. I have a great business manager and, and bookkeeper at the parish. She can take care of those details. I don't have to fix things. We have a maintenance guy for that. If I feel tempted to take on those things, maybe that's speaking to the emptiness I have in my prayer life, and I'm not deliberately trying to do something about that. So I need to be freed from that so I can be freed for this. So uh, translating that into a practice, right? Because that's that's what this uh, John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he talks about principles, then he goes into practices. And he's really big on praxis, Mm -hmm. is what he calls it. I was at a real estate uh, training event in Denver a couple weeks ago, and one of the things they said was, here's a system to put into place, essentially saying, don't choose. Just don't choose every day what you're going to do. Just choose to embrace the system. 
give yourself over to it, and it will, uh, if you follow it, basically say, we're going to put into place the, the big, chunky things that you need to be doing if you're going to be successful in being a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. And, and, and their big um, uh, uh, mantra was, the system works. Don't overthink it. Don't try to like come up with something new. Just give yourself over to it and let it work. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself as I, as I heard all this, I'm like, it's brilliant. I mean, it's following our Catholic tradition mm-hmm. of saying, give yourself over to a particular discipline of life. Like you said, first things first. You get up in the morning and you pray. Right, and then from there you do your second most important thing and third most important. So I'm like, you know what? If I I've lived this for how many years as a Catholic, let me try it as a real estate agent. And fascinating. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It's working. It works. <laughs> but all it does is is it it um it 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 doesn't make me, but it challenges me to say stay on the path. Don't try to buck the system. Yeah. So just get up in the morning and follow the routine of this system. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, it's what's so interesting is without my willingness just to consent to that, to just say, I'm not going to think, I'm just going to do, it ends up having me do things that have great value that otherwise would be crowded out. So one of them is, for instance, I'm writing notes, handwritten notes. And it's a beautiful practice because I link it to prayer. And so I'm praying, and Lord, who am I supposed to write to today? And then I'll write, you know, a couple of notes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, oh, isn't that touching? No, no. It's actually really powerful. But it's not a discipline that I would do. But it's the system requires it. Yeah. And so I'm doing it. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if, if it doesn't happen on a day, it's not because of the system. It's because... You got in the way of the system. Right? I didn't give myself over to it. Yeah. I let something else get in the way. Mm-hmm. I Oh, I'm a victim now. Oh, yeah. I had a perfect reason why, rationalizing, justifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just didn't do it. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to give you a grace that if I said I could give a grace to priests, it would be priestly fraternity. Yeah. That would be the grace. When I left the seminary, a whole bunch, because I left after my third year of theology, right? So I don't know, 20-some-odd of my buddies got ordained the next year, and other guys that I had known around them a year before, a year after. And when I would stay in touch with these guys, and I would call them or they would call me, and would check in, I would, without fail, ask the question, do you have priestly fraternity? Who's the brother that you're sharing your life with? Who is it that you're walking with? Who is it that's supporting you, encouraging you, and keeping you accountable? I said, I'm thrilled that we're talking. I'm thrilled that we're able to have like a deep conversation about priestly matters and all that. But I said, you need, you are called to, you are meant to be a gift to other priests and receive the gift of priestly fraternity. It was always my wagging the finger at them or applauding them 
because of the fundamental importance of priestly fraternity. Yeah. And it's super easy for priests to have priestly fraternity today, isn't it? It's just no problem. Oh, no problem no at problem, all. No, no challenges. No, nothing gets in the way. <laughs> no. What do you think about priestly fraternity as a grace for priests today? I would absolutely agree. Unfortunately, um, at least here in Spokane, Bishop Daly also very much agrees. He's, you said unfortunately? Or? I said very fortunately. Oh, you said yeah. very and, fortunately. And okay. yeah. I'm like, what? what no, was no. That? <laughs> <laughs> very fortunately for us here in Spokane, Bishop Daly agrees. He's frequently asking, uh, I presume, all of us, but he asks me a lot, you know, are you getting together as your priest prayer group? You know, who do you hang out with? He's, he's wanting to know that that we are hanging out kind of a thing and uh, and, and encouraging us to... We're already going to have these kind of priest functions, and he'll tell us part of the reason for it is for the fraternity. We need it, and you know the presbyteral council, you know, represented by by the representatives, the deans of the diocese. So, in the valley, how frequently are we getting together, the priests in Spokane Valley, if only for the fraternity over a lunch or a dinner, um, maybe or maybe not talk shop, but for the fraternity. So that's encouraging that he's placing that importance on us. And he's modeling it, too, because he's regularly getting the seminarians together, um, right? You know, when our seminarians come home for Christmas break, it is, you know, required of the seminarians, reserve this evening, we're all having dinner at the bishop's residence together, and, and you're expected to be there. For the, and it's not like he's going to catechize them or tell them what's what. It's for the fraternity, mm-hmm. but he's requiring it because that's how important it is. Well, and boy, I think it also, I mean, for seminarians to be able to hang around with the bishop— Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, like that's like rare air. Yeah. So the fact that Bishop Daly allows himself to have these seminarians draw near yeah. is a beautiful gift. Yeah. Number one. Uh, second, I think, is it also starts creating a habit mm-hmm. right, in their minds. Oh, this is part of being a priest. Is yeah. that there is a fraternity of priests that are meant to be part of how we live out our vocation as priests. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, a third grace is, and I'd like you to talk about the distinction between a priest that's a friend and a priest that's a brother. Yeah. Right? So a brother in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a cutesy thing to say. You choose your friends, God chooses your brothers. Yeah. Right? They're given to you for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so priestly fraternity is not priestly friends, it's priestly brothers. So there's a sense of, you know, we might not be friends if we weren't priests, but God has called us to walk together as brothers. Does that distinction ever come up, and how does that play itself out for you? Um, It doesn't come up explicitly, but it comes up definitely, I think, uh, at least implicitly, insofar as there's some some priests in our diocese I would would sadly have to say I'm, I'm maybe friends or friendly with, but I'm not sure I would go out of my way on the deeper level. It feels like a difference in in degree. A brotherhood, you know, a brother, you know, a friend, I want to like always put my good foot forward and because otherwise I risk losing the friendship if they see that I'm less than I am or something like this. Whereas a brother, I'm thinking of like my actual brothers when we shared rooms, you know all about them, including how they smell in the morning. It's <laughs> It's awful, you know, so... But they're still your brother in good times. It's almost like marriage. In good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, they are your brother. And so um, my brother priest that I've, I would say I'm brothers with, I have no problem at all going to any of them for confession. And, and not only do they still like me as a friend, but they love me even deeper because we are able to share that kind of soul-saving vulnerability, literally soul-saving vulnerability, and they can come to me. 
Um, you know, I'm not about to do that with, you know, just your average friend because I don't want to damage the friendship or risk losing it. But with a brother, it's like, Hey brother, uh, here we go. You know? So, um, if, yeah, that's that, but I say it's implicit. I don't think we actually explicitly talk about this, at least in my, you know, my, my circle of priest brothers, but there's just, it's like, why talk about it when we're, when we already are aware of it or, or living it, you know, it's, it's not a point of discussion when we're, we're, we're already living it, I guess. We could talk about it and try to how to help others to move in that direction. But with my circle friends, you know, we we just I feel like we live it pretty well. Yeah. It's more of a it's it's more of a just a natural organic thing. Yeah. I want to talk more about this in a minute on Sound Unsight. We're up against a break. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern with Father Jeff Lewis and uh, talking about uh, gifts, uh, graces that we would love to have for priests. So I think about the seminary. You know, we did that program one time about here are the 37 things that were never talked about in the seminary. Yeah. And this is one of them. Yeah. That uh, I would say that, you know, the, the theological idea that you're part of a fraternity in priests under a bishop, uh, you share in, in some ways in the bishop's priesthood. Uh, okay, theologically got it, canonically got it, but in the seminary, um, uh, it was something that shouldn't be expected by default, that the guys that are on your hall, in the rooms up and down, that they're brothers in the Lord to you. No, they just happen to be sharing a hall. And oftentimes they're very different in their theological bent and things that are important to them. And again, you find your group, you find your friends. But then there's the question of who is, and I say these words intentionally, you've heard me say them a bunch of times, who's supporting me when I'm struggling, who's encouraging and celebrating and cheerleading me on as I make progress, and then who is holding me accountable to the ideals that I have for my life as discerned by God, uh, and is aware of them and has the freedom to speak into my life to ask me or put into question what they see me doing. Those specific things, not taught in the seminary, no, never mentioned in the seminary. So when I was in the North American College in Rome, we started a group. We started a men's group in the seminary to fill that to fill that gap. Yeah, and it was very specifically to support, encourage, and hold each other accountable to strive to be the very, uh, you know, the the highest and best. Uh, you know, saints discerning, you know, called to be saints discerning the priesthood. And it was very powerful. And it was not always welcomed by the faculty. (laughs) And I was like, but no, we we want to be able to discuss things that don't just naturally come up in friendship. Like I'm struggling with this sin, or I'm struggling to figure out this part of the idea of being a priest, right? Like celibacy, what's that all about? And what does it mean? And what's that going to be like? And gosh, shouldn't we be talking about this and exploring it? It wasn't always a very natural thing. Yeah. So when I pray about the idea of, well, when, I, when I say, I would pray that the grace of priestly fraternity be given to priests, it's so that they can experience true, a true sense of a call to support, encourage, and hold each other accountable. And mm-hmm. those each of those acts mean something yeah. and can be pursued explicitly. And so it's from the organic to the intentional. So I think that that's a desperately needed talk to be given to priests. Yeah. Is how do you be brothers in the Lord together? 
Well, it needs to be part of a seminary, you know, reformed seminary approach, I think, because what you're describing, and you were in the seminary in the late 80s, early 90s, and so, you know, um, 15, 20 years later, that's those are still the problems that, that I experienced. But the solution was, as you described it too, the year before I got to my major seminary, or two years before I got there, there was a group of guys that on their own initiative formed a uh, somewhat of a Yesu Caritas, like in the priest, that's a priest fraternity and, and spirit, you know, a pair group. They formed that for themselves as seminarians. They would meet each week, Sunday evenings for a couple hours. And, but that was their own initiative. The faculty weren't opposed to it, but they weren't necessarily promoting it. But whenever guys would be outside of that group pursuing that, it was still other guys. Now the dreaded phrase, particular friendship started getting bandied about, which is a euphemism for a hom- apparently a homosexual relationship because the faculty were discouraging that. Now, maybe it's an overcorrection of the, of the priest abuse scandal, I don't know, but none of us, as I'm aware, were pursuing anything but virtue. And, but you know, having this guy to be my accountability partner and me being that for him looked weird in the eyes of the faculty and therefore it was discouraged. But fortunate at our seminary, they brought on someone who was a diocesan priest to be part of the formation, and then he was actively encouraging guys to form still others and helping coordinate these fraternity groups. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so actually it started to turn around, but it's interesting it took an outside diocesan priest to come in to do that. And um, But God bless him. I mean, as far as I know, my last year there were two other groups that started, and I think that continued to grow the year after I left. So yeah. at least it's moving in the correct direction, I think. Well, and, and you know, so you've got Acts 29 with Father John Ricardo, yeah. and the reason why that ministry exists is that too many priests, God bless them, have just become burnt out, yep. serving, 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 so many demands, so much. And, you know, you talk about that freedom, mm-hmm. and they don't feel free. They feel the burden of the duties that are just coming at them from every side, and it's mm-hmm. so hard to be intentional by themselves, again, especially if they haven't been equipped. And so they just get run down. Yeah. And, and they get discouraged, and they're asked to, you know, to stand up and be visible in a spiritual way, and they kind of have to go through the motions, ready or not, you have to anoint this person, counsel this person, hear this confession, speak this message, right? Mm-hmm. Every day, Father, I don't know if you knew that. No, did, I did. Did, did you know anything about that? Yeah. <laughs> so God bless them. And so here's Father... You know, Ricardo's saying, these guys are, you know, Hacksaw Ridge, just mm-hmm. exhausted and overwhelmed, uh, you know, coming off the front lines of just being destroyed. And um, and it's like, it's only getting harder. Yeah. Right? The, the priests are getting older, right? And that means the energy is going down, and a uh, number of parishes are still there, mm-hmm. right? So now you have these parishes that are just, all these efforts of doing what? Shutting down parishes, because the number of priests are declining and the people are wandering away. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> what, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. So that's not your problem, Father. Yeah. Your well, parish is not declining. No, it's not. Thanks it's be to God. It's filling up. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What a gift. It's loud. I have to compete every homily to be heard, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> All the screaming babies. Well, I love that. Yeah, right? me too. It's, and so... We were at a, a baptism after the nine right. o'clock mass on Sunday, and there were some out of town folks, and they're like, "Is it like this every Sunday?" There were so many families, so many babies, so many little kids, and I'm like, 
Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Stick around. Go to the eleven thirty. Right. Yeah. yeah. You'll see. You'll see. It's and it. This isn't the only parish in this area that is just booming yeah. and blossoming, and uh, with families of faith growing their families and all of that so there's there's a grace there's there's something happening here and yeah. thanks be to god for it right excellent all right so father we have just a couple of minutes left one more grace all right yeah what's that what's another grace or you could do the mercy unexpected is there <laughs> is there a favor that you'd want to see be given to the church today uh, if there's a if there's a mercy that the Lord would have upon the church or a, a grace being given uh, for the um, church for the church as a whole, yeah, I, I'll go back to a grace being given. I would like to see the grace of uh, of a greater appropriate collaboration um, between priests and um, the laity as far as holding each other accountable, building each other up. I'm thinking of a particular way when I was able to share the weekend with the men at the men's retreat. Um, I got as much from them, I feel like, as hopefully they got from me. But even in the parish, you know, we got a couple of men's groups. We got kind of a younger family, uh, adult group of the parents of young families. And just taking the men aside, let's just hang out as as good Catholic men and help iron sharpening iron. We got a couple of those kinds of men's group that I plug into. There's there's something incredibly valuable for that, I think, for them to to, to learn at the foot of their pastor, I guess, who's their spiritual father, how that can translate into their uh, fatherhood of the domestic church. And I'm learning how to be a father from them who are actually living a father. So that's what I mean by collaboration. I'm not talking about equalizing the clerical and the laity, uh, you know, none of that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, there's a, a fruitful partnership can, that can be had. I see it in little fits and starts, and I'd like to see the grace of that continue to grow. So it's a little bit like the synod on synodality yeah. for the synodal <laughs> way of the synodal church, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> what it, hey, you got two minutes. What does that all mean? Well, I don't know exactly, but I think what it means is how can the church have more a more intentional uh, and structured approach to, you know, the, on the whole kind of hierarchy, you know, how can the Pope know what the lived reality is like for the families and the pews? And how can the families in the pews know that the Pope is supporting them? You know, I, I gather that's what it is. How can the church be a more listening church? Not just listening to the structures, the bishops and the cardinals, which is important. And certainly not just jettisoning all of that so that, you know, uh, uh, embracing all that, jettisoning our listening to the Holy Spirit. That's absolutely crucial and paramount. But I think that's the approach. How can we regularly engage with, with everybody through all the strata of church life so that we can continue to grow together as, as partners in mission? Maybe that's wishful thinking for me, but that's how I'm trying to grasp and mentally wrap my mind around uh, what the endeavor is all about. Yeah, and I would say and this is worthy of a much longer program, right? Maybe yeah. we'll talk about it next week, is that um, being open to listen to voices is really important, right? to listen to each other and, and laity listening to the, you know, to the church leadership uh, hierarchy and vice versa. As long as it's proper formation, right? right? That's sort of the key here on both sides, right? Because right. you can get misguided, twisted versions of the faith mm-hmm. that are not going to be. Op- that's not where the Holy Spirit's leading. Exactly. So, thank God that you know you and I are listening correctly and yeah. are formed correctly. So just, just follow what we're saying, right? <laughs> Isn't that the challenge? Yeah. Well, we don't have. Uh, we're out of time today, Father. Thanks for uh, being with me and for walking with me through this program. It was very synodal. So thank you. <laughs> all right, God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more sound insight.